It's time once again for another thrilling episode of Mark Out Radio. Of Mark Out Radio. For the next hour, sit back, pull the stick out of your ass, and enjoy. Be warned, though, smarks and internet know-it-alls will be offended, annoyed, and generally pissed off at what's about to happen to your ear holes. You've been warned. Now, Mark Out Radio. Radio, your boy Dave. What the hell is going on with my volume levels this week? I it's just peaking me so high. Come on now, you could do better than that. You know what you're doing. Let's go, chop chop. Let's go. All right. So, anyways, uh, Jesus, that's brutal. All right, let's see if I can get the volume levels to go up here a little bit while we fiddle fiddle with the settings. There we go. That's what I'm talking about. All right. So, welcome back. Marco Radio goes Nigel. Jesus, episode twenty. You can see I'm a fucking pro, right? You could you could tell. You could tell you could tell from the setups, right? Yeah, no. All right. Marco Radio goes Nitro for January fifteenth, nineteen ninety six, out of the Night Center in Miami, Florida. Hosted, of course, as usual, by Eric Bischoff, Bobby the Brain Heenan, Steve Mongo McMichael. Now <clears throat> we start the show. <laughs> Jesus. We start the show with our boy Eric in his bad boy biker jacket. Is there anything that's more sad than a preppy guy wearing badass outfit? Like, I'm sorry. I understand that you're some sort of fucking biker or whatever the fuck. Uh, by the way, we've, we've seen his fucking motorcycle, right? We understand that this is. Yeah. All right. So it's always funny because it'll be even more amusing when they go off to Sturgis for the <laughs> fucking hog wild pay-per-view. But for now, we've got Bischoff in his stupid biker jacket. I'm not quite sure what could be more sad. Oh, wait. Yes. No, I'm sure. I know what could be more sad. The stupid fucking dog. Yeah, it's a panel of the saddest badasses on the planet and then Bobby the Brain Heenan. That's just fucking hell. All right. So Bischoff gives everyone a rundown of the show and then finally remembers to throw to his co-hosts, of course. Around this time, WCW started doing away with dark matches. Instead, though, they'd have wrestlers come out and do photo ops and launch t-shirts and merch into the crowd. So ringside, we start to see a lot of new Hogan merch on kids, especially uh, brand new band. Like you can tell if a kid has purchased a brand new bandana or a brand new Hogan shirt or whatever the fuck, because it is fucking crisp. Like it has been starched and sent out from the factory. Typically, if you've owned a bandana for more than three days, it's well, come on now. It gets covered in your fucking sweat and ends up all sloppy and shit, right? So if you're wearing a crisp new bandana, where the fuck do you think those things came from? All right, anyways. Let's get back. Let's get into the matches this week. All right, let's do that. Luger defeats Macho Man Randy Savage in five minutes, ten seconds. I gave this one three out of five. Um, Luger must have been feeling a little deflated because he's rocking some armbands to make his veins pop on his biceps, a la Ultimate Warrior. Holy shit, the ramp is really short. I mean, it's the night center. I don't even think they're using a half bowl. I think they're using like a a third of a bowl with the with the seating. So the ramp is I mean the ramp I, I I swear to god it's like 10 feet and then you're at ringside. And and all night long the cameraman backing up down the ramp is constantly tripping over the cords and over everything else. I it's just it was a bit of a clusterfuck. I mean probably the wire guy should have just stayed at the ringside area and just started pulling it back like a fucking fire hose. Um, now that being said, 
there is in the audience a fantastic visual. All right. Now, come on over, kids. Come over, gather underneath the learning tree. See, back in the 90s, we had these things called dot matrix printers. All right. Now, here's what that sounded like. Oh, I can't tell people how it sounds. I can't let people know what it sounds like. Uh, you can't funnel that through my speed. I swear to Christ, you're going to get fired. That's how fast that's going to happen. All right, let's see if I can find you a dot matrix printer while I go on with this nonsense. All right, so these dot matrix dot matrix printers were some Stone Age stuff by today's standards, all right? Uh, fairly Stone Age. Let's see if I can get some volume going here for you. Come on. Now. There you go. All right, turn it down because I want to talk over this. What's going Oh, yeah, it's printing this. Anyways. Now, everything on these printers were printed out using teeny tiny little dots. And that's why it sounded like this. I really, I wish I was kidding. Anyways, the paper has these holes on either side. And they're perforated. So that these wheels with spikes on them could force the paper through the printhead. The paper itself was all attached to each other. Not like today where you got like a piece of paper and you can go. They're perforated attached to one another. Now listen, I know those of you listening to this show that were born in the 80s and 90s know what the fuck I'm talking about. But kids today don't understand the Stone Age awesomeness that was the computer age when it was just getting started, all right? So we had this uh, brutal, brutal printer in our day, all right? And it was... uh, you know, it was, yeah, I mean, it was bad. All right. Now, I bring this up because in the audience, there are five dudes, like five colossal nerds, who decided to make a sign that said, Macho Man, ooh, yeah, with dots afterwards. Now, it because of the nature of how these printing jobs came off, five of them are holding this thing. It, now, this is why... Nowadays, and and back then as well, people started going to poster board. One, because they could color it whatever the hell they wanted to, and it wouldn't look so bad. And two, because it's much more convenient than (laughs) printing this shit out. But I'm telling you what, even though this is some sewing age shit by today's standards, I'm going to give a full half a point for these nerds that decided to go out and print off this Macho Man <laughs> paper banner is what it was called back in the day. That's right. It was a banner. All right. I'm going to give the match a full half a point because of you glorious 90s marks in the audience that put up this stupid thing. Uh, it was brutal. Now, that being said, the match itself was okay. I mean, it was a savage match. It was a Luger match. Matt Macho makes Luger look like he can actually wrestle. So that's always good. But, I mean, for most of the match, Luger's selling and Savage is delivering a beatdown. Normally, in Savage matches, he's the underdog who comes back. In this match, for the majority of the match, Savage was on top. Now, he misses the flying elbow drop. Luger no-sells pretty much what happened for the last three and a half minutes. Gets up, puts Macho into the torture rack, and the match is over. And then Luger won't let him go down for a little while. You know, selling the heat a little bit. You know, it is what it is. But I mean, overall, it's just, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's an okay match. I mean, honestly, it's two out of five at best. All right. Why then 
Did your boy DF give it three out of five? Well, I'll tell you why. First of all, half a point for the fucking 90s nerds. And another half a point because it actually builds towards Macho Man challenging for the title next week. Which is good. I mean, you're building for the next show. Why Savage gets the... (laughs) can be the number one contender i have no fucking idea but the match is designed to actually build that and to make it you know controversial and that's fine as uh, eric bischoff's stupid fucking book says controversy creates cash right that how that works that's what we've been told all right anyways so <clears throat> that match ends and we're supposedly going to a match between members of the Dungeon of Doom and members of the Horsemen. We don't know what that match is, but allegedly that was the next match. Instead, what we get is Sullivan grabbing Gene by the blazer and dragging him down to the ring. So now we've got a Dungeon of Doom and the Four Horsemen, Gene impromptu summit in the middle of the ring instead of your scheduled, quote-unquote, tag match. Now, for those of you paying attention, yes, that is One Man Gang, once also known as Akeem the African Dream. Go ahead and look at some of our video footage of that. I'm not going to spoil it for you. <laughs> I'm not going to throw my boy under the bus, but I am going to say it is every bit as offensive as you might think it should be. All right. Now, he won the U.S. title off of Kurosawa at a house show the day before, so he's rocking the U.S. title. Now, at this point, the U.S. title is the newest belt. Like, they had just replaced the U.S. title when they had Kurosawa beat Sting for the for the title in Japan. Now, obviously, the reason why that belt's going to be new is because it's going to be held and defended in, J- in Japan for God knows how long. And every time they're in the Tokyo Dome, they sell out 55,000 55, yeah, 55, people in Tokyo Dome. So you'd want to put your best foot forward. So the U.S. title is the newest physical belt that they have. All right. Now, the U.S. title goes back a few years with Harley Race being the first winner, Ric Flair holding it the most times. But um, yeah, I mean, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a good belt. It's a good title. It's a, it's WCW's version of the intercontinental championship. Of course. Um, obviously WCW's came first because we're not going to rewrite history here. So anyways, Arn gives Pillman shit for dressing like Pillman dresses. The rumors backstage were that uh, WCW is trying to talk Pillman into restructuring his contract. Now, while he and Austin were on a roll as a Hollywood Blondes, Pillman's contract came up. So when Austin got hurt, Eric just released him since his contract was up anyways. But Pillman's agent had a termination clause in his contract where they'd have to pay him out if they released him. So Bischoff put him in the Horseman. In true Pillman fashion, though, he was pissed off, didn't want to go along with the program. And after he came back from legit leg surgery, he was put into the Horseman short while later to keep him hot and generating money. But Rick and Arn... Arn specifically fucking hated him. So not knowing what else to do, Bischoff let the inmates run the asylum, let Rick and Arn figure out what to do with Pillman. So now this loose cannon thing comes up. Now, of course, because Rick and Sullivan are friends, Sullivan's got the mid-card book. There's got to be some way of keeping Pillman's looking on like a horseman kayfabe. So, of course, that's where this, you know, off the reservation type Pillman comes from. Now, that being said, of course, Pillman plays it off to a fucking nth degree because Pillman's Pillman. And let's be honest, these fucking unhinged. I mean, do we need to go back to his and Austin's thing with the gun? So anyways, 
This made for some rather interesting promos, of course, um, and Pillman appearances. I will say this for him. When the bell rang, he actually gave it everything he had. It was outside of the ring where he was just too much. Anyways, Arn's got the stick and the summit between the horsemen and dungeon begins. Sullivan puts over Flair and Arn and buries Pillman. Pillman leaps in and gets some stick time and Arn slaps him the hard way right into Gene Okerlund. I mean, it was an awesome promo, but again... Sullivan just needs to learn when to stop. I mean, everyone keeps talking about what a fucking brilliant booker he was. And yet here we are. We're at the end of a perfectly good promo. It's done everything we needed to do. It's checked off all the boxes. We're good. Mid card is awesome. We've got this dungeon horseman alliance against Hogan, all that shit. And that's fine. But the whole point of the summit was keep your boy Pillman in line. Dungeon and horseman were good. And let's not, Keep allowing them to put us against each other. So again, the summit's successful. It's checked off all the boxes. Everything was great. And then Sullivan's got to throw in, and by the way, did you know that Hogan has a match against a member of the dungeon tonight? And? I mean, who fucking cares? Flair's the champ. Who cares who Hogan's facing? I, 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 I don't understand. I just... Okay. Flair's the champion. Who gives a flying fuck what Hogan is doing in the main event who cares honestly the horsemen don't care the dungeon's the only one that actually cares and that's because the giant's egging for his rematch because he's the uncrowned champion allegedly right but why the fuck does this have to be added to the promo why can't you just stop it with Arn slapping the taste out of pillman's mouth and then saying we're cool leave it there because then later on in the night spoiler alert when hogan's having his match against ming and the horsemen and the dungeon come out to do a run-in, then the fucking announcers could be like, oh, this is why they were being friends in that fucking promo. Oh, now they're all against Hogan. Oh, see, this is where the announcers get to do their job. You don't, you got to stop. Got to stop fucking doing And again, I, I, I'm, I'm baffled. I know back in the day before WCW and maybe even early 90s, Sullivan was a fucking mad scientist genius. And that's fine. But by 96... His better days were fucking gone. And listen, he went down after he was done WCW, started his own fed. And what the fuck happened to it? It went under. And then he found some fucking suckers to go ahead and pay for another fed form. And what happened to that one? It went under. And then what happened? Then he went to go work for Jim Cornette. What happened? The both of them fucking went broke. Why the fuck does everyone keep giving this guy? Like, I get it. Once upon a time, he was a genius. But once upon a time, Trump knew how to sell things. What the fuck? So anyways, oh, Jesus Christ. After this whole schmoz happens, the announcers wrap up what we've just seen. Brain draws attention to the fact that Benoit has his eyes locked on Arn. Well, of course he did. At this point, he was comforting Nancy, who was backstage every night, either walking on eggshells around Kevin or wearing sunglasses to hide the raccoon eyes that he was giving on a regular basis. Arn was one of the road agents and kept Sullivan and Benoit away from each other. He likely told Benoit to just ghost Sullivan for this promo, and keep his eyes on Anderson. All things considered, it's a great mid-card feud between stables. And that's fine. That's good. It should be there because God knows we're way too heavy on the on the main event. But I think they were trying to make this main event feud since Hogan wasn't going over the way WCW management had expected. Sullivan had been moved to the mid-card booker a few weeks ago. I'm sure some of this was put over in the mid-card with Horseman and Giant Heat. Unfortunately, he was programming against the guy that was running WCW in Eric Bischoff, who had taken over with as head booker with Hogan. So even though he wants 
this mid-card feud to be a main event feud. It's not going to be. It's just not. Because Eric's whole job is to put Hogan over because WCW management is pissed because Hogan is not generating the money and the heat on the company that they thought he would. And listen, don't judge it on just me fucking not liking Hogan. I don't, but that's irrelevant. I'll still put people over if they're good. But the fact of the matter is his heyday was gone. He was not the draw that he was, that he's going to be in a few months from now in 96. Right now though, he's not a draw because it's the same old say your prayers and eat your vitamins shit. And people are fucking tired of that. The nineties was a different time. People were starting to, I mean, listen in the eighties, that was huge. Oh, fucking no one was bigger than Hogan. No one, no one. And the thing is now we're in the nineties. People are a little more jaded. People, the kayfabe is starting to break down a little bit. People know what's going on. And they're no selling a lot of shit that he does, which is why the fucking wrestlers have to come down to do photo ops and hand out free Hogan merch to make it look like he's going over because Eric wanted it to look on television, at least like Hogan was a huge draw and selling out all these foam things of imposing and the t-shirts and the fucking bandanas and everything. But again, all you gotta do is look at these things to know that they're fucking brand new out of the box. And listen, no one coming to that thing is dropping. What the fuck were they? $25 for a fucking bandana and $40 for a Hogan shirt. And you're telling me that these fucking parents who spent $40 on a brand new Hogan t-shirt are going to let their kids cut it up like Hogan's is with the fucking sleeves and the neck. Are you fucking out of your mind? Get the hell out of here. So again, this, I think Sullivan and Flair were sort of hoping that maybe this mid card heat would bring some more eyes to the main event and maybe even bring the dungeon and the four horsemen to the main event, which it sort of does in a roundabout way, which is good. But the problem is that every fucking time you end up with a Hogan macho promo at the end of a show and all of their work is just for naught. because again, you're programming against the guy that's running WCW. So you're basically ice skating uphill. All right. After all this bullshit, let's get back to the wrestling. Public Enemy make their Nitro debut. And uh, listen, one of my favorite, one of my favorite teams of the 90s. All right. I, I'm sorry. They are. I I don't know why, but I was, I, I popped for the fucking Public Enemy for a good long while too. Now, this is the thing. They take on, oh, Jesus. They take on the American males. No, no, no. Stop. No, don't. Motherfucker. <sighs> We're going to get popped again. Thank you. Jesus. I know you think it's hilarious. I know. I get it. I understand. Whatever. Anyways, Eric claims that this is the American Males debut on Nitro as well. Awesome. Now, during this match, Eric kept putting over Philly for the public enemy, and I couldn't understand why at first. I mean, they're from Compton, according to their usual billing. So what's up with this whole Philly bullshit every three seconds? Oh, here we go. Go look at the history. What do you know? He stole them from ECW. The Sabu thing wasn't working out. So what did he do? He went and he got a tag team. that was a little more marketable that had some you know, t-shirts that he could sell <laughs> shit like that. Cause you know, he's going to show himself some merch if he can do anything. So now <laughs> Flyboy Rock and Rock and Johnny Grunge are from South Philly. Great. 
So now WCW is not at war with two promotions, for those of you keeping score at home. Now, during this match, there was one thing that really stuck out for me. There was an awful worked punch from uh, from Bagwell to Rocco, who sells it like he just got his head fucking knocked off. The problem was that they did it in front of the hard cam, and the punch was so wide. <laughs> he just, uh, just a total ghost punch. Um, post-match, there was a beatdown. Rocco puts Bagwell to, through two heavily, heavily worked tables. I mean, don't get me wrong. It still hurts. I know, but still... They were heavily worked tables. Uh, I gave the match two and a half out of five. It wasn't bad. It wasn't good. It was just, it was somewhere in the middle. Not bad for a, uh, a first kick at the cat for public enemy. Um, the, the two heavily worked tables, that's straight up throwback to ECW. So, and that, and that's fine because again, that's something that fucking Sabu was doing <laughs> just a couple of months ago, wasn't it? All right. After this, Ric Flair with Jimmy Hart. I still don't understand the fucking Jimmy Hart in his corner thing. Whatever. Ric Flair defeats Sting. To retain the WCW World Heavyweight Championship, I that one in 12 minutes. I gave that one three out of five. Both wrestlers make their entrance, and then we go to break for the Clash of Champions promo for the Sherry Colonel Parker wedding, which, by the way, is a glorious cluster fact when you watch the pay-per-view. Two to three minutes of wrestling, and we get another break for a Super Brawl 6 promo. After that, Flair uses Hart's distraction to throw Sting over the top rope, then Hart follows up with a kick to Stinger, while the ref is... Excuse me. Distracted by Flair in the ring. Sting pulls down Flair's trunks again, showing the crowd his pale old ass for a pop. Afterwards, Sting's gy- Sting gyrates a little bit to put it over. Luger comes running down the ringside, pulls the microphone away from Hart, straight into Sting's head. The ref doesn't DQ Flair. Lord knows why. Flair puts Sting in the figure four, and with Sting's shoulders unconscious on the mat, the ref counts three. Post-match, Hogan and Macho run out and chase Luger, Flair, and Hart away from the ring. Gene gets into the ring for another promo. Hogan hour sucked. Hogan and Macho tell Sting that he needs to wake up about Luger instead of watching the video package, though, that Gene offered. Sting's going to go talk to Luger. Leaving Hogan and Macho in the ring to cut a promo on each other. Macho pulled the fast one, and he got a shot signed before got his title shot signed before his match with Luger even happened for the fourth loss in a row. Hogan wants his shot. And the ramp light was driving me crazy all goddamn night. After this, we get a Saturday night promo. Hogan's going to run his mouth. Harlem Heat to take on Sting and Luger. And Jim Belushi is going to put over WCW just like Mike Dick has been doing for the past couple of weeks. Afterwards, you get your main event match. Hulk Hogan defeats Ming with the Taskmaster in 441. I gave it 2 out of 5. Again, it's not 2 out of 5 because it's Hogan. It's 2 out of 5 because it was that quality of a match the cameraman got stomped by sullivan and ming after he tripped over his own left feet brain nails it when he says that hogan can't handle somebody else with the belt both announcers go quiet i mean bischoff and uh, mongo uh, until bischoff comes in changing the subject subtle like a chainsaw bischoff finally fires a shot over the bow wwf claiming that everyone recognizes them as the number one show this week though he's absolutely right though he didn't know it at the time Sullivan climbs into the ring, but Savage comes out and stops him. He kicks off Savage, but by then Hogan was on him. He grabs the quote-unquote spike from Sullivan for Ming. And like the super-duper face that Hogan is, he uses it on Ming to cheat to win. Because, you know... (laughs) Alright, then we get a recap of the match from (laughs) 1-800-COLLECT. It's a way to save as Hogan collects a victory. Thank you, fucking Eric Bischoff. 
I mean, the crowd is into the show from the start. 4,200 in attendance, 3,100 of them actually paid. Nitro pulled a 3.5 to Raw's 2.5. I gave the entire show a 3 out of 5. The sum-up pro- promo actually helped to pull the score up. At, the, at one point, it was down to like 2. So uh, the sum-up promo was actually quite good. Pretty good overall show, if I gotta say. Um, now, don't forget, we're leading into Clash of Champions. You're subtly reminded over and over again that this is all free. And it is. Clash of the Champions is a TBS gimmick where they do a free pay-per-view. Um, I mean, it's a sweeps thing, sort of, but it's also a, uh, I mean, it's a, kind of a tradition at this point because we're heading into Clash of Champions 32. Now, listen, before you get all excited about that, they've been doing it since 87, I want to say, and they kind of do two a year. So saying it's 32 is not disingenuous. It's just, it's not like they've been doing it for 32 years at this point, right? So anyways, that's it for me this week. Um, I'll see you freaking animals on the next show. Well, that was an abortion of a show. Should the mood take you, check out MarkOutRadio.com and leave a comment. You can also find links there to our Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and Stitcher channels. You can even leave a voicemail on our Skype. Just click the links and share them.